You're listening to Revolver Podcasts. Good afternoon. A San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. State District Judge Angus McGinty is at the center of an investigation today involving the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin, and it cost him his freedom, his livelihood, his bench, and law license. Since pleading guilty, he's refused to talk about the details of his criminal case. Until now. I did it because I was foolish. And that one little mistake that I made, that I never really intended to make, but I did, cost me everything. Everything. But this is not just the story of a single judge taking a one-time bribe. You see, during the FBI's corruption investigation back in 2014, agents recorded attorney Al Acevedo on his cell phone, boasting he was bribing several state judges. Only McGinty was charged and prosecuted. That's because the FBI's undercover operation was compromised when word of the investigation was leaked to the very judges who it was targeting. The names of other judges and bribes they allegedly took have been kept sealed in secret FBI and court files, with many of those judges still on the bench. But I've obtained those secret files, and the truth of the courthouse corruption scandal, and exactly who was involved, will finally be revealed. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister, and this is How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. In this episode... I'll reveal more details inside the still-sealed government records from the FBI's corruption investigation into San Antonio area judges. Those records show Chief U.S. District Judge Orlando Garcia was responsible for warning state judges at the Bear County Courthouse of the FBI's undercover sting. But the FBI had already documented incriminating evidence against several judges using wiretaps and witnesses. Former FBI agent Michael Carlisle, who didn't know that I had gotten my hands on some of his very own investigative reports that he wrote back then, did admit to me that the net he cast had caught some big fish who ultimately got away. A lot of us who covered the courthouse thought a lot more judges were going to go down. Oh, yeah. No, and and I did too. Um, And I'll be the first to tell you there were, you know, there was smoke. There was more smoke there and. And, and who knows, if we hadn't run up against the election, uh, it could have very well, um, we could have very well gotten some, gotten some others. Had Mike not been, you know, killed when he was, when he was, um, it very well could have been more. That was, that was the intent. But, you know, the same, the same, you know, like I say, the circumstances worked in our favor early on, worked against us at the end. So, um, it would, uh, had things gone differently, I, I, I think you very well could have seen several more. Today, many of those judges implicated in the investigation are still on the bench. Some have even risen to higher positions within the court system. Those judges' names never mentioned in connection with this corruption scandal because the case has been sealed from the very start in 2013, in part because the government claims there was, quote, the need to protect the reputations of uncharged individuals. 
One of those individuals now sits on the highest criminal court in the state of Texas. Judge Burt Richardson was first elected to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals in 2014. But in order to get to what exactly the FBI collected about Richardson, I first need to tell you about another judge, now retired, named Michael Ugarte, who was a magistrate judge in Bear County. Former Judge Angus McGinty knew both Richardson and Ugarte. So um, one of the names that pops up here a lot is Judge Michael Ugarte. Tell me about Judge Ugarte. Um, Michael was a, a defense attorney for a long, long time before he became a magistrate judge. Um, very approachable, very friendly. So during the course of the wiretaps, um, the magistrate judge, Ugarte, uh, and Acevedo were communicating. Okay. And uh, in some of the government documents in your case, they actually have transcripts. Uh, and in order to go through these transcripts, I'm going to read uh, Attorney Acevedo and you read Judge Ugarte so that we can go through the transcripts and people can hear for themselves how okay. how, the, how, it would, how it sounded to the FBI when they recorded it. So I'll be playing the part of Michael Ugarte. Yes. Hello. Hey, Mike. This is Big Al. Hey, Al. What's going on? Oh, nothing much. You at the office yet? Yep, I'm here. Hey, uh, I got, um, did Peter call you? Yeah, he said some guy with, um, that y'all wanted to bring in yesterday. I told him it would be better to bring him in this morning. Okay, let me, let me ask you this, because he's got, he's got two, two, uh, two cases that are pending in the 226th uh-huh. with Sid Harrell. And um, we were waiting for this one to come down because, you know, they hadn't, they been trying to get this guy to cooperate and he just he doesn't he doesn't doesn't want to talk yeah uh so this guy this agent is squeezing his balls he's (laughs) sapd but um i'm trying i'm trying to squeeze some money out of this guy Uh uh-huh what do you normally set these money laundering cases for i think the guy my recollection is that is that um they have a t-shirt business and he had his uh, bank deposit and he had like 13,000 or 14,000 dollars not a lot of money um, guidelines on those what what degree are they i was just when you were talking i was just trying to look in there i want to say it's a third a third degree yeah let me see if i can find it here uh, if it's a third degree it's um 5 to 15 al yeah okay yeah, it's five to fifteen if it's a third degree. Um, what what is he? What is he on bond for? He's got a, a PSS, uh, a marijuana case, possession of marijuana. Uh, to five? Uh, one, I think one. Uh, I think there's one a state jail felony, and then there's uh, I want to say one's the other one's a third degree felony. I mean, one is a state jail. Yeah, both for marijuana. Yes. Uh, well, you know what. I am trying to think what the prior, the priors are. I want to say it's marijuana, Judge. That's his his deal is marijuana. You want me to check on that? Um, you give me give me the guy's SID number or something. I'll just look it up. You know. Uh, hold on one sec. Uh, eight one seven. What is it? Six five five. Six five seven. Eight one seven six five five. Eight one seven six five five. Yeah. What's his name? Anthony Tijerina. Anthony Tijerina. What are you? What are you looking for? Well, I want to set it high, 
and then reduce it as soon as, uh, like, reduce it to whatever the guidelines are. Okay. You want to make it a high bond, and then you're going to get it reduced? Well, I want to set it high, and then try to get it to whatever the guidelines are. Okay. Do you want uh, to get a magistrated with a high bond? I want, I want, I want, I want a magistrated because uh, I want to call the employer and say to the guy and say, hey, you need to get this amount of money up. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, when you say high, what do you want it at? Like at 50, then come down to 25? 50 and bring it down to 25. Okay. Well, just tell him it's going to be 50, man, you know? Are you going to bring him in? Yeah, uh, he's on his way to the office right now. Well, just tell him it's going to be 50, and then when you bring him in, I'll set it at 25. No, no, no. Well, can you set it at 50, and then is it harder to change it? Mm, you mean as long as he is still here? It's not, it's not a hard thing. Yeah, I want him to be magistrated to think it's 50, and then okay, and then get it reduced to 25. Yeah, well, just tell him it's going to be 50, so when, when it's here... I'll just tell him it's 50, and then you can make a phone call, and then you can call me, and I'll change it to 25. Got it. Okay. All right. Bye. All right. Now, that's the transcript of the conversation. This is what the government writes. Okay. This is the FBI agent. I assess this conversation to mean that Attorney Acevedo was trying to use his corrupt influence with Judge Ugarte to, quote, squeeze some money out of his client by arranging for Judge Ugarte to set an artificially high bond for Anthony Tijerina and then have Judge Ugarte later reduce the bond. Because Attorney Acevedo is able to write his own bail bonds, this scheme would enable Attorney Acevedo to collect a higher fee to write the bond. For example, 10% of 50000 rather than 10% of 25000 And then reduce his exposure to a possible bond forfeiture by reducing the bond amount. I assess that Judge Ugarte agreed to assist Attorney Acevedo in this scheme to defraud Tijerina of honest services because Attorney Acevedo exercises corrupt influence over Judge Ugarte. Yeah, well, re- reading what you, uh, what you showed me, um, it, uh, I would say the FBI agent nailed it uh, right on the head. It, it, it obviously was a, a farce to, uh, to artificially set a bond at $50,000 to fleece the, the client uh, out of uh, money. It also makes, uh, in my mind, it, it clearly shows Acevedo wanted to look good in front of the client by having the judge set an artificially high bond and then he can swoop into the rescue and get the bond lowered. Yeah. yeah, I'd say the FBI agent was right on with that one. Coming up next, I'll explain how the case of one criminal defendant is tied to two judges implicated in the FBI's corruption investigation. The government documents uh, say that during the wiretap investigation of Acevedo, the U.S. intercepted a communication between Acevedo and Ugarte, the county magistrate, which revealed that Judge Ugarte had granted a bond for Mr. Aranda, who we've talked about before, yeah. and delayed implementation of electronic monitoring by allowing Mr. Aranda 15 days to have the electronic monitoring device installed based on Mr. Aranda's violent criminal history and the United States assessment that Mr. Aranda's favorable conditions of release were the result of corrupt influence. The United States decided to take steps to mitigate the danger to the community caused by Mr. Aranda's release. Accordingly, a criminal complaint against Mr. Aranda was filed in federal court on charges of possession of a firearm. I remember that. 
I remember that. They, they were so, uh, the feds were so alarmed that he was released that they um, arrested him real fast. The FBI on October 9th, 2013, picks up a call from Judge Ugarte to Al Acevedo. And again, I'll read Acevedo and you can read Judge Ugarte. And you're showing me that this is where uh, Judge Ugarte actually called Acevedo. Uh, right. Okay. This was this was a call from Ugarte to Acevedo on this case. Okay. Uh, hello, Al. Yeah, Mike. Man, he has a pretty long history because they're probably going to invite and in, indict him as a habitual man. All right. Well, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. No, I mean, what can I do if you want? I don't know what case, what court he's in. What's he in? The one eighty seventh. Yeah. If you want, what I can do is I can postpone. I'll give him 15 days to put it on, which he'll release, and then you can go talk to Angelini and get Angelini to waive it. Okay. Well, I talked to David, and um, um, I'll take the complaint to David. Uh, Dan, Dan Rodriguez, is the family violence prosecutor. Yeah. Okay. Well, do, do you want me to do that? Well, I'll call her, yeah, if, if you can do that. Yeah. Then I'll call her. Then I'll call him. I'll go see him right now. Well, I can't see him. Yeah. No, he won't. He won't because I already, he called me collect and I told him not to go near her. Yeah, because she put a, non, uh, a non-contact, you know? Right. Okay. But yeah, but I'll just say you have 15 days to install it and then that way you can go over there and get him to wave it. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right, bye. Then the FBI agent writes about this conversation. I assess this conversation indicates that Attorney Acevedo had used his corrupt influence with Judge Ugarte to obtain more favorable release conditions for his client, later identified as Cruz Diastado Aranda, including a delay of the implementation of electronic monitoring. FBI investigation, including a review of court records, revealed that Judge Ugarte granted a bond for Aranda and delayed implementation of electronic monitoring by allowing Aranda 15 days to have the monitoring device installed. I would say the FBI agent, again, was, uh, was right on the money based on what I read. Well, I'll read more because the FBI agent wrote more in his report to the court. He goes on to say, Aranda has an extensive criminal history, which includes the following. Burglary of a habitation, evading arrest, possession of marijuana, assault causing bodily injury, manufacturing delivery of a controlled substance, and failure to identify while a fugitive, felon in possession of a weapon, assault causing bodily injury to a family member, assault of a family member, choking strangulation. And then he says, on October 9, 2013, Aranda was released from custody. In my experience, and again, this is the FBI agent that was leading this investigation, he wrote to the court, it is unusual for an individual with Aranda's criminal history to be released on bond. In fact, due to the fact that Aranda was out on bond in connection with a previous domestic violence case, it was within Judge Ugarte's authority to hold Aranda without bond. In order to mitigate the danger to the community caused by Aranda's release, a complaint was filed by the FBI's Violent Crime Task Force on Aranda for felon in possession charges. A warrant was issued for Aranda's arrest, and he was taken into custody on October 15, 2013. The FBI eventually confronts Judge Michael Ugarte. In a document in the file I have obtained, 
There is record where an attorney who had access to the debriefing of Judge Ugarte writes, on February 24th of 2014, the FBI interviews Judge Michael Ugarte about the bonds being raised and lowered. Quote, it's about Al trying to make some money, Judge says. Quote, I know how this sounds. And quote, now listening to it, it's almost like, man, what the fuck was I thinking? So the Cruz Diastado Aranda case um, has an intersection uh, with Al Acevedo where it intersects with Judge Michael Ugarte on the front end, um, with him being magistrated um, and the government believing there was corrupt influence there. Um, and also on the back end, when he winds up, uh, Rhonda winds up in court. He winds up in uh, the court of a district judge named Burt Richardson. We are very fortunate today to have Judge Burt Richardson of Texas's Court of Criminal Appeals, the highest criminal court in the state today as our guest. Judge Richardson, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you just kind of tell our listeners just a little bit about your background? You had some interesting jobs and experiences prior to going on the bench. If you could just kind of fill that in a little bit. I attended Brigham Young University, took a two-year break and served a mission in Argentina. Then after I graduated from there, I attended St. Mary's Law. And while I was at St. Mary's, I was hired as an intern. Back in those days, it was a paid position. And if you got hired and you graduated and passed the bar, they hired you. I worked in the DA's office for several years and I think almost every department they had, juvenile, appellate, the trial courts. And then from there, I was hired at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the San Antonio Western District. And then while I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, the legislature created new district courts in Bear County. And I was encouraged to apply for one of those vacancies. And I was appointed by Governor Bush. And after I was appointed by Governor Bush, I remained there until 2008. And what I call the political sweeps for the judiciary started, I was defeated. And then I became a visiting judge. I worked in over 50 counties across the state in three different judicial administrative regions. And then I was elected to the CCA in 2014. For 10 years, that's all I did was just criminal stuff in Bear County. Once I got defeated in 2008, it's kind of that at the beginning of the political sweep. So losing in November when you had everything going for you was kind of a surprise or a shock. And then trying to find a job at that time of the year is, is a little bit awkward. I really wanted to go back to the feds, but they had a hiring freeze. And so I was just encouraged to just put my name on a list to be a visiting judge. And so what I did was I reached out to three regional presiding judges and just said, look, I'm interested. And it worked out really good. Within about six months, I had a kind of a full plate of cases. Through these documents, there are indications that Aranda uh, told the FBI that he believed that uh, Acevedo asked him for $5,000 to bribe Burt Richardson so that he could get probation. I remember reading that, yeah. You wrote, in your affidavit, later, Mr. Brown told me that Cruz Aranda did talk to the FBI and told them that Acevedo had given money to bribe former District Judge Burt Richardson to give him probation. Mr. Brown told me that he already warned Burt Richardson. Which, um, yeah, was all the basis of, uh, uh, of my appeal and, and corroborates what I had said is that Jay Norton told me that he warned some people and, and uh, Alan Brown warned others. Now, in the case of Richardson, um, I asked you to look at the case file. Right. What jumped out at you in the case file that seemed unusual, and you were able to point me to this, 
Um, and this might be have a correlation to what Mr. Aranda is claiming. You had asked me to look at a, uh, a printout that you had gotten, which is what's commonly referred to as an A page. It lists, lists someone's criminal uh, history. And this person that uh, you're talking about, Cruz Diaz Dado, is the name here, um, the same as Cruz Aranda. And it has um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten cases uh, listed, and the third one is a case where he was put on probation without a conviction. And I had told you that being put on probation without a conviction, uh, which is called deferred adjudication, um, is generally not given for um, aggravated felonies. Uh, this case is possession with intent to deliver controlled substance, four to 200 grams. That's a first-degree felony, I told you, uh, with the range of punishment of five to 99 or life. And that um, someone being put on deferred adjudication for that was rare. Uh, and then furthermore, that there were six or seven other cases that appear in this printout after that case showing that they happened after this person was put on deferred adjudication. So looking at this printout, if someone went to a judge for a bond on this motion to enter adjudication of guilt, they would see that this person is accused of committing six or seven other uh, crimes and that I would told you it is extremely unlikely that such a person would get a bond and be let out. And then you... Uh, and in you, this case, you, he got a pretty low bond. You showed me that um, the Judge Richardson wrote set bond at $15,000. And I had told you that, in my experience, that is a ridiculously low bond. Um, that's almost a third-degree uh, felony bond for someone who has no priors. So it... Uh, yeah, that stood, that jumped out to me. So what do you think? I think you need to go talk to Burt Richardson. He's currently on the Court of Criminal Appeals. You go talk to him. I don't have a defense for that. For that. Hell, I didn't defend myself very well, Brian, so I'm certainly not going to defend someone else. I would say that you would be right to ask him questions about that. Yeah, you would. I reached out to Judge Burt Richardson and retired Judge Michael Ugarte but got no response back from either. When we come back, former Judge McGinty has a message for the other judges who are only now being named as part of the investigation that sent him to prison. So a lot of people during the course of uh, my investigation into this case, um, relying on these government documents and my conversations with you and my conversation uh, with the FBI agent that, that led the investigation, um, a lot of a lot of it comes down to uh, what are in the documents, but your involvement, your comments um, by those who are still judges, um, they just don't give a damn. They just, you, you can't be believed. You can't be trusted. You can't, of course, he's going to make up stuff. Um, if they, let me say it again. Let me, let me rephrase that because I want to say it specifically about those who are not talking to me. Um, so during the course of this investigation, there have been, um, attempts to reach judges and try to talk to them about, uh, what's in the documents and also statements that you've made. And, and so that we can try to get
get their side of the story. Um, my guess is they would say that um, you're full of it. You, uh, you're the convicted one. Why should we believe what you're saying? Uh, the documents are being taken out of context. Uh, McGinty is spinning a tale uh, to try to lessen his own culpability. Um, so what would, what would you say in response to those that, those that are still in high office um, who look down and say, can't believe a word of the guy says? Well, Brian, I can, I can tell you uh, a couple of things. When these uh, accusations came down against me, all of the judges in the courthouse that I considered uh, both my friends and my coworkers uh, and my peers, uh, they all dropped me like third period French, just stopped uh, having anything to do with me, didn't return calls, didn't call me at all. Um, well, can you blame them? No, you were damaged I, goods. I guess I, I couldn't you were radioactive, blame them, but what I would tell them to do now is have some balls. Let me tell you, it, it was not an easy decision for me to talk to you, Brian. Okay. I want you to know that you have uh, a reputation. I'm just going to let tell, tell it to you straight. You have a reputation for being a jerk who ask questions aggressively and I wasn't sure I even wanted to talk to you. Uh, I didn't know about all these documents you have. I'm glad I did talk to you uh, because it's cleared the air for me. And that's what I would want them to do is clear the air. If you didn't do anything wrong, if you didn't have any corrupt relationship with Al Acevedo or Sam Katz, or uh, Alan Brown, or Jay Norton, or Sid Harl, then come and talk to Collister and explain whatever it is you think you need to explain. I did. I want them to be as brave as I think I've been, Brian, if I can just say that, because it's not been um, easy for me to talk to you and bring all of this back up that ruined my life and ruined my family's life. Uh, it's not been easy. I will uh, thank you for being professional uh, about it um, so I would tell them floor is yours take it and tell the people of Bear County what you did or didn't do I have I think I've done more um, than I I'm getting credit for what do you think should happen with the documentation which is still sealed there's even more of it that, that, that I haven't well, had my hands on. Well, I, I can tell you right now what I'm going to do, Brian, is I'm going to have serious discussions uh, with um, uh, an attorney about getting these unsealed. Because what you've done is you've, you've, uh, you've cracked an egg, if I can use that as a metaphor. And um, if this podcast is listened to by, by uh, people in this community, it's, I don't know your angle. I don't know if this is going to cast me in a bad light or a good light or, or anything like that. But I do know that I want to have more information myself so that I can decide where to go forward. Am I going to try to get relicensed at some point? And if I am, I would like to be able to show 
more than I'm allowed to show now. And so that's what me talking with you and you showing me these documents is going to cause me to think about doing. And that's to, uh, I'm going to try to get all, everything unsealed because I, I, um, I want to be able to, to control my own destiny. How do you think the courts will react to that? Because they, um, I believe some of the wording that I read was that the, uh, the request to seal these records was to, in part, uh, protect the reputations of those who um, <laughs> were not, um, you know, indicted well, and charged. let me just say that, so if it comes down to somebody's reputation versus what I've lost, my job, my retirement, my salary, my money, my license, my home, my car, and on the other side of the coin is their reputations are going to be harmed. Who gives a shit about their reputations? I lost everything. Well, but some people might say that you caused that. And I think maybe another way to recast it would be that the public that elects these judges should know the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I think that's accurate, Brian. I think the public should know. They should know the truth about me, which I hope you and I have um, done a good job doing my, my sweaty palms would tell you that you have done a good job for that. But yeah, the public deserves to know. Uh, and I, I wish you all the power in the world and, and, uh, I'm going to try to get some more documents unsealed. Coming up in our next episode, I talked to judge Burt Richardson in depth about the Cruzeronda case, the sentence he handed out and the allegation in the FBI files that he took a bribe from Al Acevedo. Hear how Richardson responds next time on How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister.